Blog Talk Radio. Let's get to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, expecting her to speak at any minute. I am reading through her speech as we speak. There will be an extension of the closure of CPS schools. They will extend the closure until April 20th. I'm reading from her speech. Let's listen in. Tonight I want to discuss how our great, strong, and resilient city is responding to the unprecedented coronavirus. The impact it's already having 
on our daily lives, as well as things we should be doing to weather this fierce storm. We start by not forgetting who we are as a people. As Chicagoans, we have faced down many challenges before. We have seen heat waves and polar vortexes, fought through recessions, depressions, and two world wars. And when our city burned to the ground in a great fire, a fire that one historian noted started on DeCoven Street near Halstead and Roosevelt, and it burned over four square miles of our city from the central business district and government buildings, slum areas and neighborhoods of the wealthy, theaters, churches, and sporting houses, and more. We rose from the ashes the very next day to grow bigger and stronger than we had ever been before. We learned from each of these challenges over the decades, and we baked into the lessons learned our preparedness efforts. In each of these tragedies and crises, every single time, heroic Chicagoans of every stripe, young, old, of every race, color, and creed, have risen up and said, how can I help? And we have united and moved forward together. Resiliency and resolve are baked into our DNA. And as a people, this is our moment to prove ourselves and to a nation that in Chicago, we may get bent, but we will never be broken. Let's talk about some specifics about the virus itself and our efforts to combat it. The threat posed by the coronavirus, or COVID-19, is real and growing. I want you to know that we have been and will continue to be aggressively tackling the threat this poses to you and your loved ones. Our Department of Public Health started tracking this virus when the first reports started coming from China in December, almost four months ago. As we prepared for this virus coming to the U.S., and specifically Chicago, our public health and emergency management teams drew upon lessons learned last summer when many city departments and partners participated in a full-scale drill in which we were called upon to respond to a pandemic virus whose circumstances closely mirrored the challenge we are facing today. Public health's daily work consists of gathering and analyzing data on this outbreak from hospitals, physicians, labs, and working in coordination with our counterparts at the county and the state. An all-in, full-out, comprehensive effort to contain the spread of this virus and protect those most vulnerable to it. This data analysis and investigative work has and will continue to inform our response, ensuring it is as effective as possible and allowing us to direct our resources where they are most needed. I want you to be able to lay your head down at night, comforted by the fact that we are ready to meet this challenge. We prepare all year long for crises so that when it comes to our door, we are tested and ready. And we have and will continue to rise up to meet this unprecedented challenge. Our incredible public health commissioner, Dr. Allison Arwady, has built her career around addressing infectious diseases all over the world, working to tackle Ebola in West Africa, MERS in Saudi Arabia, and HIV and tuberculosis in Botswana. She worked on response to H1N1 and SARS. Remember those? And Allison and her incredible team of public health are ready. Tune into her daily updates on Facebook Live on The Doctor Is In at 11 a.m. daily, and do check 
chicago.gov forward slash coronavirus for the most up-to-date information. And our first responders, police, fire, EMTs, call takers, and dispatchers, they run to danger every day and meet you in your most distressed moments. They too are ready. And I must acknowledge our fearless healthcare workers, doctors and nurses, yes, but also the aides and orderlies, the cooks and janitors, the volunteers, and everyone in the healthcare chain who are making great personal sacrifices every day on our behalf. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And last, but certainly not least, special thanks and prayers go to our people who are the fabric of our social safety network, our libraries, parks, community service centers, and the social workers and others, all of whom staff these facilities are vital in providing a place for people in need now more than ever. What do we see as the next steps in fighting this virus? A couple of important things that I will mention here. First, we have repeatedly asked throughout this crisis that if you are sick, stay home. Most of you have listened but some have not. And those of you that have not, have not only put yourselves at risk, you are endangering the public. We have documented an increasing number of cases in which sick people went to their workplace and got other people sick with the coronavirus. Today, at my direction, the Department of Public Health issued an order that until further notice, if you are sick with respiratory symptoms like cough, fever, or shortness of breath, but also, and importantly, if you are beginning to feel sick, body aches, fatigue, sore throat, you too are ordered to stay home unless seeking medical care or other essentials like food. If you violate this order, there have to be consequences. Please be smart, be safe, and stay home if you are sick. That's an order. Let me also repeat, if you are a member of a vulnerable population, that means people over 60, but especially people with underlying medical conditions, stay home if at all possible. Put your health first and don't put yourselves or others at risk. Now I know these restrictions are causing hardships, but we are doing this to save lives, pure and simple. We have seen what these extreme measures have yielded in places like Japan and Singapore. Those countries have started bending the arc of the virus, and China is reporting progress for the first time. These measures work, and we need them now as this virus progresses here in Chicago. Next, let me address the anxiety that many are feeling about the status of our schools. As you know, on Tuesday of this week, Schools were closed through March 30th by order of the governor, who closed all schools, public and private, across the state. In consultation with Dr. Arwady and Dr. Janice Jackson and her team at CPS, given what we anticipate as the continued upward trajectory of the viral spread, I'm announcing now that Chicago Public Schools will be closed through April 20th, with students returning on Tuesday, April 21st. We need to give parents and guardians plenty of advance notice about this reality and the ability to plan. CPS and the city will continue to support you in the ways that they have through these early days of the school closures. 
A thousand thanks of gratitude to everyone inside and outside of CPS who have been stepping up for our kids and our families. I want to especially thank those who have contributed to the fund to support food services for CPS families, notably Ken Griffin, who today donated $2.5 million, $1 million to CPS and $1.5 million to the Greater Chicagoland Foods Depository. Ken and others are exhibiting extraordinary civic leadership at its finest. Let's talk dollars and cents for a moment. No question that our local economy is being hit hard by this crisis. Most notable is our hospitality industry, conventions, hotels, restaurants, bars, and other forms of entertainment and service industries are suffering. Many have shared the immediate issues of cash shortages, concerns about making payroll, and for many, the very survival of your business is in question. We also see the needs of our airlines, airports, and the related businesses that depend upon air transportation every day. Our mass transit is also being hit as people appropriately follow the directives to stay home and employers have activated teleworking options for their employees. Know this, we have the incredible benefit of being a strong and diverse economy. In other instances where similar industries were hit here in Chicago, for example, as a result of 9-11 and more recently, the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009, our local economy in Chicago and the region bounced back strong and quickly from these downturns. We are working at all levels of government, local, county, and state to make sure that the final tale of this economic challenge will be the same, a strong comeback. I will talk more about this in a moment. I have also received a number of questions about city finances and revenue. While this crisis is certainly adversely affecting many parts of our local economy, I want to assure you that our city finances remain strong, and here's why. By design, no single revenue stream is more than 13% of our overall revenues. And what we call economically sensitive taxes, meaning those that are most sensitive to potential downturns, like sale taxes, our share of state income taxes, recreational and hotel taxes. In the aggregate, these taxes make up less than 25% of the revenue streams for our city budget. We have more than sufficient cash on hand, and we prepared for a potential economic downturn as part of the projections we released last year for our 2020 budget. Finally, it helps that we received an unexpected $100 million windfall from refinancing our debt earlier this year. And we are looking at other opportunities to leverage the low interest rates that currently exist. Be aware that we continue to monitor this situation on a daily basis, and our chief financial officer, Jenny Bennett, and her team are on the case. So while city finances are weathering this storm, for many individuals, this is the financial challenge of a lifetime. Here's some immediate steps we have taken to help relieve the burden on you. We have suspended many of the debt collection, ticketing, and impounding practices that the city engages in until April 30th. This includes suspending the booting of cars, late fees and default on payment plans for all city debt, 
This includes parking tickets, red light camera and speed violation, and utility bills. We will not make any collection efforts until April 30th at the earliest, and we will not be referring you to debt collectors. And accordingly, the Chicago Administrative Court is continuing all court dates until at least April 30th without any interest penalties. No city debt checks will be conducted for rideshare and taxi drivers. And we are limiting ticking and towing and impounding of vehicles to public safety-related issues. Given the economic pressures that many of you are facing as a government, we are stepping up to do our part to take a brick off your back. We know that this temporary suspension will bring some measure of relief. I want to also note and thank Sheriff Tom Dart, who previously announced that he is delaying enforcement of all eviction orders until April 30th. I call upon all property owners to give tenants some grace wherever possible during these trying times. No one needs the added stress of evictions, certainly not now. Similarly, I call on banks to grant relief from foreclosure efforts during this crisis. Thanks also goes to the Chicago Community Trust and the United Way for setting up the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund, which will provide help on food, rent, and other items of need. Also, as you know, at the beginning of my administration, we ended water shutoffs for residential customers. Water is a basic human right. Today, I took the additional steps and called upon all of our suburban water authority customers, that's 125 suburban communities, to immediately take necessary action to also stop water service disconnections for non-payment as our state grapples with the COVID-19 pandemic. I applaud and thank those communities that have already taken this important step. While we must address the individual needs of our residents during this challenging time, it is also important that at the city level, we also take a leading role in supporting our small businesses. When we support small businesses, we support their workers, who in turn help uplift the vibrancy of our neighborhoods. That is why I am proud to announce the creation of the Chicago Small Business Resiliency Loan Fund. This fund will start with more than 100 million in targeted low interest loans to severely impacted small businesses. These loans are designed to provide much needed cash flow relief for neighborhood entrepreneurs. This is a public-private partnership involving a $25 million grant by the City of Chicago, $50 million in capital by the Chicago Community Catalyst Fund, as well as $10 million from Goldman Sachs Urban Investment Group. Thanks to City Treasurer Melissa Conyers-Urban for her partnership in this effort, as well as to the Goldman team. I also need to acknowledge and thank Fifth Third Bank, who has pledged $1 million um, to the fund, as well as Bob Clark and his colleagues at Clayco Construction, who have pledged $250,000. We invite, actually we urge others from business, philanthropy, and individuals to contribute to this fund. It is a meaningful way to help our small businesses meet payroll, avoid layoffs, and survive under extraordinarily dire circumstances. In addition to the Resiliency Loan Fund, we are providing further relief 
to small businesses by extending the due dates for tax payments until April 30th for the following taxes. Bottled water tax, checkout bag tax, amusement tax, hotel accommodation tax, restaurant tax, and the parking tax. I finally want you to know that we are in daily conversations with our federal partners and particularly our Chicago area congressional delegation. Thanks to Senator Durbin and Duckworth and all of the Congress people who touch Chicago for being our champions in Washington, D.C. We have said, and they know, that federal stimulus packages must bring immediate relief to individuals, not just big businesses, through help like extending and increasing unemployment benefits and more grants and loans to small businesses. Localities like Chicago should not be shouldering this burden alone. Folks, this is a B-sized problem, meaning something that can only be solved with billions in needed stimulus support from the federal government. In closing, let me say this. I am, of course, your mayor, but I am also a wife and a mom. I'm a friend to many and a neighbor. My team and I have worked tirelessly over these last 10 months to build an administration steeped in compassion and empathy, to reflect the realities of your lives and everything we do. And now in this moment that challenges us all, I want you to know that far from abandoning these core principles, we are placing them front and center in everything we do. I care about the people in the city that I may never meet, just as I care about my own family, my beloved friends, and my neighbors that I see every day. We have not shied away from facing hard truths and speaking openly about the need for love. And Chicago, we need to love each other with all our hearts today and every day. While this is a time of physical isolation, we need to stay connected. We need the warmth of smiles hellos and thank yous, the words of comfort and acknowledgement that each of us, regardless of our station or circumstances, matters. Gwendolyn Brooks got it right. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. These words are truer today than they have ever been. Our challenge is not over and our work is not done. But we will get through this together because we can and we must. God bless you and our great city. Please be safe. Several developments announced there by Mayor Lori Light.
to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, this uh, COVID-19 is getting worse and worse. I hope I'm not sounding as if I'm in an echo chamber. If I am, I got to make some changes. Um, anyway, uh, this thing is bad. It is bad. Two city employees, and a, uh, including a police officer, has pa- passed away from COVID-19 in the city of Chicago. Um, consumer Protection. Agency division is announcing that there is a lot of price gouging around here of businesses that are not closed that are are essential are uh, sticking it to the uh, people who have to stay home. And I had, I I think I posted something on Facebook saying that uh, companies are now paying employees to quit, to leave the job. And this is happening. This is for real. The it's a recession heading straight into a depression, in my view, in my opinion. Um, and we're getting nothing from Trump. I think Trump, uh, the administration, are signal, signaling that they're sending more ventilators. But states are saying 
we need ventilators, and also we need masks. Trump, there, you know, look, he has the power to do all of this, and you've heard it before. He has the power to do this, uh, but he's not doing it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us seen that ship uh, that they weren't going to let dock in, in Florida because majority of the passengers are sick. I think two people on board died of COVID-19. Um, uh, I think right now, I'm not sure, but I have to go research it, that they're, they're now letting those, some of those passengers off that boat. But um, I'm hearing that the captain uh, who uh, the captain who told everybody out among them that there was people dying and having COVID-19 on his ship, he's now been removed. Trump had him removed. This is the captain on that particular ship with those, with those hundreds of people who are, were sick from uh, COVID-19. One of them, two, one or two of them passed away. Now, Trump didn't like the numbers. He did not like uh, him uh, broadcasting to the world that there were people uh, on his ship with that COVID-19 virus. So Trump had him removed. This is a case, once again, where Trump is just an asshole. He doesn't want the numbers to go high, so he's trying to keep them low. By any, If anybody... Uh, defies him and says, well, a thousand people just died. He's going to get rid of them. Okay, Navy captain, I'm thinking he's a captain, uh, relieves, right, the Navy relieves captain who raised the alarm about COVID-19 on the ship at the request, no doubt, of Donald Trump and probably Mike Pence. Trump is always looking out for his own personal, uh, his personal, uh, I can't even think of the word because I'm just so pissed off. He's always looking out for himself, put it that way. And I'm just, something just popped up on, up on my screen saying that Trump slammed for begging Congress not to investigate the virus. Response failure. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want you to talk about his failures, the response failures. If he would have responded to this uh, virus in the beginning, way back in January, even way back in 2019, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be the world's most, the highest in the world. Put it that way, the highest count of casualties in the world, the highest count of um, people affected with this. If Trump and whoever else in his administration would have jumped on this. Now Trump wants to try to hide everything. He's, try, he's trying to cover up all of it. He's lying about it. This guy, I am so tired of calling him a bitch or a dumbass, a stupid person. Pardon my language. I'm, I'm tired of it. I need to go. He's trying to that if the numbers are low, he will be reelected. He feels if the numbers are high, he will not be elected. That's why he's struggling to keep the numbers low, and he's firing anybody who disobeys him and, 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 and
gives out the right numbers. The numbers are correct. You don't want to hear them. Um, this guy is on there. Okay, the George Wilder Jr. Show is on the, on the air, still making the world a better place. Stay home to stop the spread of this virus. Hopefully, we can get rid of Trump because this guy is a criminal. Once he loses the election in November, and yeah, he's going to jail. He's going to be indicted. He may go straight to jail for the damage he's done to our country and the damage that he continues to do to our country. He doesn't give a damn about how many people have died. He just doesn't want, he just doesn't want you to know about it. And if you find out about it, he's going to find a way to lie about it and trying to hide it. This guy is something else. Anyway, we're on the air, and we're here trying to help make the world a better place, at least trying to get the word out to people who haven't heard about much of this. And I, I'm in uh, Illinois, and we're uh, basically um, uh, talking about the virus in Illinois, but, you know, this is this is all around the nation. This is like worldwide. You really can't talk about one state's problems with this COVID-19 virus. It's, it's everywhere. It's all over, and it's pathetic. And I want to say this. Uh, doesn't matter uh, what you do or what you're about. Nothing matters if we can't get this virus contained. Nothing matters if we can't virus the numbers uh, who have been affected uh, on this virus. Because it, it just nothing matters. Nothing else matters. I don't care if you're an author, you're you you're a writer, you're a screenwriter, you're a movie producer, director. Nothing matters until we get this under control. We have to get it under control. We have to get it contained. I can tell you this. If we had someone in the, in the White House other than fucking Donald Trump, we wouldn't be as bad off as we are. There's, there is no doubt about it. This man has blood on his hands. He knows it. He knows it. 8.8 million people filed for employment last week. Uh, that's almost doubled uh, this week in Illinois and in Illinois and, and in some states around uh, the United States. This employment people are, and, but Trump is trying to tell agencies not to tell the people how high the numbers is. He's trying to get them, don't, don't, don't do that. That's crazy. He's trying to, he's trying to reinvent reality, which is crazy. Anyway, we're still trying to make the world a better place. Stay home, stay home, help stop the spread of, if you can, if you can help it, stay home. My son goes out, but I try to tell him to put a mask on his face and do gloves. You know how kids, kids, they will find a way to get outside. But as long as they don't come in too too close to someone. They don't get too close to someone. I get to go be outside, but the virus can be in the air. You know, so that's why I say wear masks, all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm trying to comply with what the governor wants, what the mayor wants. I think we have two the greatest politicians ever in the state of Illinois. I can't say that for other states. I think Cuomo in New York, I think he's great. People are already saying he should be president of the United States. Somebody should because this jackass that we've got in there now, he doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't give a damn about it. 
only thing Trump cares about is re-election. He cares about that. And we must never forget, this man is impeached. He are, he's impeached, so he's already damaged. But he's damaging himself and, and the United States uh, more and more. He doesn't give a damn about what's going on. He just he's just worried about re-election. And he'll do anything, just like before. He will do anything and say anything to get reelected, even if it's breaking the law, even if it's unconstitutional. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he's walking over body after body after body, as long as you keep the numbers down for him. I hope no one uh, who has those statistics keep them down. If they're up, we should know about it. Trump, Trump's trying to cover up, hide, and lie about it. Give us the facts. We want the facts. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're talking about the coronavirus. This is something everybody's talking about. Oh, they should be talking about. Do I want to be talking about it? No. But it has to be talked about. People have to understand this stuff is serious. I get sick. Every time I um, turn on the news or turn on the radio and look at the Internet and the numbers have gone significantly up, people have just died. Good people, great people, wonderful people, people who have never done anything in their lives but help other people. They're gone. They're gone. And we're asking ourselves, why do we still have this piece of stuff in the, in the uh, Oval Office? Who doesn't care about anything? Doesn't care about anything. Um, it, it's just a sad time uh, for everybody. Yeah, I'm in the house. I'm doing my show from the house. We have a little studio. I mean, not a studio, but a little room or something where I have all of this hooked up and we can do this from here. Uh, everybody's at home. Everybody should be home. We're not saying do not go out. You can go out. But if you go out, make sure you're wearing gloves. Make sure you're having something covering your mouth and nose uh, and try to keep distance from other people. You could, you may be okay. I can't say concretely, uh, uh, but I think you will. Okay, Trump predicts one of the – who cares what Trump – see, this is what I'm saying. Trump talks about – Everything else but this coronavirus. He talks about, it's all political for him. This is political. 1,000, 2,000, 200,000 people dying is political for him. Those are two, those are, those 2,000 people, excuse me, those 200,000 people who are dead, the Trump, they are just people who will not be able to vote. <laughs> That's what they are to him. The more people dead, the more they can't vote. That sounds harsh, but that's how his mind thinks. That's his mentality. The more people die, so <laughs> they won't get the polls. But right now, a lot of uh, uh, states are saying um, their elections will be voters can mail their 
are valid then, uh, you know, that's great, beautiful. That way we know that Russia will not cannot tamper um, with the machines, mail them in, and count them, which I think should happen. And Trump is scared of that. Trump is scared, period. He's scared of losing the election. He's scared of losing the election and then going to jail because that's where he's headed. If he wins, he figures he's going to turn this, he's going to turn uh, the United States on its head. Make America great again? Remember that? That was a lie. That was a ploy for him to uh, get in office and uh, destroy the United States, along with uh, the Republicans in the Senate. It's, it's bad. But my focus is not on things that are unrelated to COVID-19. My focus is on keeping people safe, saving lives. At least I'm one of the people out there. Keep everybody else. But you think about some of the nurses on the front line. A lot of them have passed away from this virus. And a lot of them are afraid. A lot of nurses are afraid. They are afraid for other nurses who may um, get this virus and die from it. Once again, I want to say I commend all those nurses out there, nurses, practitioners, uh, all the health professionals that are on the front lines, uh, helping people to survive, helping people to live. Because we do not have a president who cares. We do not have a president who cares. He cares. Self, and he's making this political. He cares about himself, and he makes he's making this political. And every day there's something about this coronavirus. People are dying every day. Even as I sit here in this uh, uh, office doing this show, people are dying, and that's sad. And people, if, if people are at home, they're doing face-to-face uh, conferencing with Zoom. I'm hearing Zoom is <laughs> They've lost a lot of uh, stock, and they're not doing well because of. of, of um, I'm down with Zoom, uh, but I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. And I want to say to everybody out there: stay safe, stay safe, stay in the house. I know sometimes you get a feeling to go out. I get a feeling to go out. I mean, it's nothing wrong with going out to take a walk or something, um, maybe to the store to get a, pick up a few things. But keep your gloves on. Keep something over your face. Because I have heard, I have heard that people can get this virus just by going to the, going to the store. You can get this virus just by going to the store. And, uh, and you have to realize something. There's some good news on this virus. Everything is not dark. Everything is not sad. So don't be sad and, and, and giving up. Because it's not a death sentence. Having is not a death sentence. Okay, it's just it's just a precaution. It's just a precaution. It's not a death sentence. So that's that's good news. Okay, uh, George Water Jr. Show is on the air. We're gonna do this, and we'll be we will be right. Stacey Adams, folks. Good evening, my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. 
Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly 
while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. Defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real from making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not, and we cannot, accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight, to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, 
one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So, even as I am very disappointed by the President's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the he truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is who we are. And when we do so, never wavering, the state of our union will always be strong. Thank, Thank you. you very much. And may God bless right. the United States of America. Nothing's gonna change my love for you You wanna know 
to deploy these re-enlisted medical professionals to the front lines. Also for medical professionals, professionals whose licenses may be expiring, we are automatically extending your licenses through the end of September. Finally, for healthcare workers living at our borders who may be practicing in cities outside of Illinois, we're going to make it easier for you to also practice here. This will allow health systems in places like the Quad Cities and East St. Louis to deploy physicians where they are needed most on either side of the border. This is HERO's work, and all of you have our deepest gratitude for your willingness to serve. As I mentioned yesterday, we are working to expand the availability of childcare for all our essential workers through a new expedited emergency childcare center license to provide care in much smaller group sizes than standard centers. Already we've had more than 150 centers apply for this license. My Department of Human Services is also developing a grant program to support centers and homes serving the children of low-income essential workers. If you're a provider, an interested organization, a parent or guardian, you can learn more about these options on our coronavirus.illinois.gov website in the coming days. On that note, I just want to take a moment to thank our child care workers from the bottom of my heart. In this time of instability, these providers have remained a silent and steady force of helpers who serve such an important function across the state. We could not keep our essential workers going without your service, and I am so deeply grateful for all that you do for their children. Lastly, let us remember that this virus is not tied to any specific ethnic group or race. People from every demographic, every race, ethnicity, gender, or background have been infected. Suggesting otherwise or engaging in racist speech or acts is one of the most profoundly un-American things that I can think of. Instead, the current crisis should drive home to all of us just how connected we all are. We can choose how we want to come out on the other side of this. Let's choose to be one Illinois. I'd like to introduce the director of our Department of Public Health, Dr. Ngaze Azike. Thank you, Governor. Again, my name is Ngaze Azike, and I'm proud to be part of this administration serving as the Illinois Department of Public Health director. I have to share with you the additional cases. We've added 168 new cases, and unfortunately that includes a death, a gentleman in his 70s who resided in Cook County. That brings our total to 753 cases with a total of six deaths. And for each of the families represented by these fatalities, we all offer our support and prayers. This virus is here and it's in our communities. All of your governmental leaders at the local and state levels are working seven days a week to do all that's possible to mitigate this situation, to lessen illness, and mostly to decrease deaths. 
What's important now is to try to reduce the further spread and prevent our healthcare system from being overwhelmed. As your governmental leaders do our best, we are asking that you as individuals also do your personal best. Some of the ways you can do that are simple but powerful. And that includes washing your hands frequently for 20 seconds with soap, the social distancing, staying home when you're not well. In addition, you can protect those people who are on the front lines, the doctors, nurses, physician assistants, all the healthcare workers who work so hard to care for those who are sick, including knowing that they could encounter and will encounter people infected with coronavirus. Nevertheless, they go to work every day, putting their health at risk, knowing that they are encountering these patients. I want to also add my thanks for these brave, strong, dedicated men and women. During this unprecedented public health emergency, stocks of personal protective equipment also known as PPE, are being used rapidly. The availability of critical resources such as gloves, gowns, eye protection, and N95 respirator masks is essential. To maximize the state's availability of this PPE, IDPH released guidance to limit non-essential adult elective surgery and other medical and surgical procedures, including dental procedures, until further notice. We are encouraging strongly all ambulatory surgery centers and veterinarians to donate PPE that is not immediately needed to assist healthcare workers, healthcare facilities, and first responders who are on the front line actively responding to COVID-19. I implore people to do what needs to be done to prevent additional people, including our crucial healthcare workers and nursing home staff workers, from becoming sick. Stay home. Yes, that means sacrificing, getting together to celebrate what should be some festive milestones. Let's all stay home so that we can all celebrate down the road. All of our actions have significant eye protection and N95 respirator masks is essential. To maximize the state's availability of this PPE, IDPH released guidance to limit non-essential adult elective surgery and other medical and surgical procedures, including dental procedures, until further notice. We are encouraging strongly all ambulatory surgery centers and veterinarians to donate PPE that is not immediately needed to assist healthcare workers, healthcare facilities, and first responders who are on the front line actively responding to COVID-19. I implore people to do what needs to be done to prevent additional people, including our crucial healthcare workers and nursing home staff workers, from becoming sick. Stay home. Yes, that means sacrificing, getting together to celebrate what should be some festive milestones. 
Let's all stay home so that we can all celebrate down the road. All of our actions have significant consequences. For those who won't make these sacrifices, that puts all of us at risk. We are seeing how interconnected our entire community from the top of the state down is. We really want to take care of our medical providers who may need to care for your loved ones if they become similarly infected and need heightened care. The science is clear and common sense is even clearer. If you don't have the virus, you won't get sick. If you're not exposed to someone who has the virus because you stayed at home, then you don't get the virus and you don't get the virus, you can't spread the virus. It's as simple as that. Let's stay home and try to keep our whole state as healthy as possible. And with that, I will summarize the points for our Spanish-speaking community. Hoy reportamos 168 nuevos casos de COVID-19 aquí en Illinois. Oh, my God.
marriage is not a bad thing. Uh, I was just talking to my son about it, and he thought it. He thought anybody who got it died. It's not a laughing matter, but he thought that it was just a death sentence. He thought if you if you caught it, you you died. But I tried to explain to him, if you're sick, stay home. Uh, and if you're seriously sick, then you go get checked up. Uh, but it's not a death sentence. I mean, the governor would tell you that, the mayor would tell you that, Trump maybe now is convinced, he'll probably tell you that too, but it's not a death sentence. So don't sit at home uh, being scared to death on this thing. It's serious, it's very serious, but I just wished uh, Trump would have caught it sooner. I, I wish he would have not called it a hoax. I don't know if you heard, but Trump don't want you saying that he said it was a hoax. He gets pissed off at that. You know, even though because there was commercials on television calling, throwing his own words back at him and by saying that in the beginning this whole thing was a hoax. Now he doesn't want that. He, he's, he's mailing letters to uh, TV stations telling him telling them to take down that what video of him calling this thing a hoax that he's going to sue them. Who the hell is going to sue these people? It's his own words being thrown back at him, and he doesn't like it. He hates it. Uh, he wants us to pretend like he never said it. It's when all of this crap is on tape. Uh, if he runs, if he runs for, uh, once he starts actually running for uh, the election 2019, the Democrats are going to bring up all of this. They're going to bring up every thing that he tried to cover up. And in some cases, the Democrats now in office, Nancy Pelosi is saying that Trump is a blame for these thousands and thousands of deaths. And I agree with it. He is a blame for a lot of these people dying because he didn't jump on this jump on it earlier. And when he did know, he tried to cover it up. He wasn't doing anything. He, he was just slow to do anything. Trump is incapable of handling this. This is not in his repertoire. This is not something he knows how to do. He is no leader. I mean, when you see him on that podium giving his daily briefings on this virus, he's campaigning. He's campaigning. He already knows that his polling, his ratings, his polls have, you know, gone up. So he, he's at that podium campaigning. Because he cannot give his rallies. At one point, he was saying the hell with the virus, he's going to give his rallies. But I guess somebody pulled his dumb ass aside and said, you can't do that. You can't do that. But anyway, we need a better person at the helm. We need somebody who knows what they're doing. We need a proven leader. Trump is no leader. Trump is thinking about only himself. Leaders do not think about themselves only. Leaders think about others. Activists think about others. Trump thinks about only himself. He's got his liars all around him. He's got his ass kisses all around him. But we know better. Know better. And you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. show. And I've been saying COVID-19 is not a death sentence. The George Wilder Jr. show is now on the air. Uh, still making the world a better place. I've had people criticize me <laughs> saying that I'm making the about, excuse me, can't talk. I've had people criticize criticize me about saying that I'm making the world a better place. They even, you know, 
I mean, really criticizing. But you know what? Uh, I've been doing this for a long time, and you know, people are going to be people. People are going to say what they're going to say. It doesn't bother me. I'm going to keep doing what I love. But I like, but I just like uh, uh, the thought of people hating what I do or trying to discourage me of what I do. And I've been talking about people discouraging me forever. Whenever you try to discourage me, it just makes me better. It just makes me want to do more. And I tell people the same thing. Same thing. Do not let other people discourage you from doing what you want to do, especially if you're being successful at it. They're just jealous, assholes, what do you want to call them? Pardon my language. I'm still trying to make a better place, world a better place one show at a time. Been on for, let's see, I don't know, five years. Wow. Some people still haven't discovered me. <laughs> it's okay, because I enjoy uh, what I'm doing, and I always will enjoy what I'm doing, regardless of the critics, the naysayers, and all the assholes out there. I've had people call into the show that I had to hang up on because they said something nasty, and I got to, you know. So the George Wild Mizumi Show is definitely on your side. Saving lives is my goal. It's helping to save lives because there's so many people out there who are saving lives. And I'm still on the uh, uh, COVID-19 is not a death sentence. It's not. And everybody should not be. Just because you have it, it means that you could be cured. I mean, uh, uh, it, you know, the deaths are high. I agree. I, I don't. Whether it's 1,000 deaths, 2,000 deaths, one death is really too much. However, it still is not a death sentence, and I think we're going to get over this, and we will. We will. Um, just hang in there, and uh, we get another. We need a president. There's no doubt about that. We need a president. So I was saying, I was talking to my son before he left. I told him when he leaves out, he leaves out of the house, make sure he puts on a mask and some gloves and keep his, and, you know, extra precaution, keep his distance away from other people. I think he's doing that because, uh, you know, I mean, he's at home just like I'm at home and uh, because he can't go to school and, you know, and, and I can't really uh, um, go out anywhere and work because there's nothing. So I work in the house. I work for myself. I work in the house and I do it for myself. And I think that's the best way it's going to be because I do think that a lot of the employers, a lot of people who are laid off, and there's millions of them, a lot of them are laid off, they're not going to get those jobs again. And think social conferencing, video conferencing is going to be the thing of the future. It's going to be the thing of the future. Hey, Skype, excuse me, Skype, Zoom, a lot of these other ones. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Google Hangouts, Google Hangouts, Skype, Zoom. People are going to be using these things crazy, even after this pandemic is over. So it's going to be a lot of changes. Some of the things that are changing are going to be the same. A lot of these people aren't going to get jobs. A lot of these companies are going to be downsizing like crazy, you know, to keep from hiring those other people. They're going to be trying to save a lot of money. So a lot of people who are out of a job, they're going to be out of a job permanently. Because like I said earlier, a lot of these companies are not are now paying their employers, employees, sorry, 
employees to quit, not to come back. Stay home. And I do think I do think when the hiring has picked up, this thing is over, this pandemic is over, and the hiring is picked up, it's gonna be a lot of virtual hiring. You're gonna be working at home. It's gonna be a lot of virtual hiring. It's not gonna be in your face hiring anymore. It's gonna be virtual hiring. And uh, things are gonna change drastically once this thing is over. And some of the things some of the things that they're adopting now, they're gonna keep them after this thing is over. And it, it's frightening, but it's true. I keep, something keeps popping up on my computer. That's why you hear that sound. Ugh. Advertisements and stuff like that pop up on the computer, and people people wanting you to pay attention to them while you're online. So you ever get that where you're trying to do work online, all of a sudden all these pop-ups come popping in front of you? And and sometimes it just messes up your whole day. Sometimes it messes up your whole conference. It's just something that's not good. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is really, really serious. I mean, it's not a death sentence, but it's something to take serious. You have to take it serious because people – Hundreds and thousands of people, and you have to take it serious. But remember, it's not a death. Um, George Wilder Jr. Show. I think we're just about off the air here, but we're going to try to continue a little while longer because this virus is just is just out of control. It's out of control. We'll be right back. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You are.
John Garamendi of California. Congressman, thanks very much for coming in. Be here. If Stormy Daniels uh, was physically threatened, as this allegation has now come forward by someone close to the president in order to try to cover up this affair, well, that would be a very serious matter. Should there be, in your opinion, a criminal investigation? I just don't know. I mean, this whole thing is just spinning out of control. We've got the president of the United States in a situation where his entire White House is falling apart. And just yesterday, we learned that Russia is hacking into our essential utilities, nuclear power plants, on and on and on. This presidency is a very serious security threat to the United States. And if that security threat goes to these women, it's just one more thing. That ought to say us, it's time. I want to talk to you about the Electoral College and why it matters. All right, I know this doesn't sound like the most sensational topic of the day, but stay with me because I promise you it's one of the most important. To explain why requires a very brief civics review. The President and Vice President of the United States are not chosen by a nationwide popular vote of the American people. Rather, they are chosen by 538 electors. This process is spelled out in the United States Constitution. Why didn't the founders just make it easy and let the presidential candidate with the most votes claim victory? Why did they create? And why do we continue to need this electoral college? The answer is critical to understanding not only the electoral college, but also America. The founders had no intention of creating a pure majority rule democracy. They knew from careful study of history what most have forgotten today or never learned. Pure democracies do not work. They implode. Democracy has been colorfully described as two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. In a pure democracy, bare majorities can easily tyrannize the rest of a country. The founders wanted to avoid this at all costs. This is why we have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. It's why each state has two senators, no matter what its population, but also different numbers of representatives based entirely on population. It's why it takes a supermajority in Congress and three quarters of the states to change the Constitution. And it's why we have the Electoral College. Here's how the Electoral College works. The presidential election happens in two phases. The first phase is purely democratic. We hold 51 popular elections every presidential election year, one in each state and one in D.C. On Election Day in 2012, you may have thought you were voting for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, but you were really voting for a slate of presidential electors. In Rhode Island, for example, if you voted for Barack Obama, you voted for the state's four Democratic electors. If you voted for Mitt Romney, you were really voting for the state's four Republican electors. Part two of the election is held in December, and it is this December election among the state's 538 electors, not the November election, which officially determines the identity of the next president. At least 270 votes are needed to win. Why is this so important? Because the system encourages coalition building and national campaigning. In order to win, a candidate must have the support of many different types of voters from various parts of the country. Winning only the South or the Midwest is not good enough. You cannot win 270 electoral votes if only one part of the country is supporting you. But if winning were only about getting the most votes, a candidate might concentrate all of his efforts in the biggest cities or the biggest states. 
Why would that candidate care about what people in West Virginia or Iowa or Montana think? But you might ask, isn't the election really only about the so-called swing states? Actually, no. If nothing else, safe and swing states are constantly changing. California voted safely Republican as recently as 1988. Texas used to vote Democrat. Neither New Hampshire nor Virginia used to be swing states. Most people think that George W. Bush won the 2000 election because of Florida. Well, sort of, but he really won the election because he managed to flip one state which the Democrats thought was safe, West Virginia. Its four electoral votes turned out to be decisive. No political party can ignore any state for too long without suffering the consequences. Every state, and therefore every voter in every state, is important. The Electoral College also makes it harder to steal elections. Votes must be stolen in the right state in order to change the outcome of the Electoral College. With so many swing states, this is hard to predict and hard to do. But without the Electoral College, any vote stolen in any precinct in the country could affect the national outcome, even if that vote was easily stolen in the bluest California precinct or the reddest Texas one. The Electoral College is an ingenious method of selecting a president for a great, diverse republic such as our own. It protects against the tyranny of the majority, encourages coalition building, and discourages voter fraud. Our founders were proud of it. We can be too. I'm Tara Ross for Prager University. Join Prager University. Click here to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Click here to sign up for free at PragerU.com for quizzes, contests, and prizes. I really didn't know that was coming. Anyway, the George Wilder Jr. Show is off the air. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, listening. Whether you're listening now or listening later, just make sure you just listen. This is a good show. It always has been. I've been on for about five years, and I love it. I'm going to continue regardless of the naysayers. I think it's a good show. I think uh, my imprint is all on the show, so <laughs> I do everything. I mean, why hire people to do things that you could do, right? And with this virus going around, you have to stay distant from people, and that's a good thing. That's another reason why I do all do all of it, even though I've been doing it all since day one. Anyway, uh, the George Wilder Jr. Show is off the air right now, so I want to thank everybody for listening once again. Tune into the show. Have a great evening. Have a great morning. Have a great whatever whatever time you find yourself listening to this show. Have a great one. All right? We're all there. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.
troubled world, I pray the Lord to keep, keep hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 